Father, thank you for the word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have the capacity to pierce our hearts with your word. And Lord, let it pierce deep within us and change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. First Peter, we've been looking at the, at, uh, we called it a pilgrim's progress, uh, a journey through first and second. Uh, Peter, and the reason for that, as you know, if you, if you go to verse one, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, for just by way of rehearsal and review, if you will, uh, this is the only plate. Peter's the only one to use this terminology other than the writer of Hebrews. Uh, who used it one time to describe uh, believers. And uh, that word pilgrim uh, means a temporary residence. Uh, temporary resident and, and residence, not resident. A temporary resident. Uh, there we go. Uh, and, and the reason he did that is because these people, these believers, these Jewish believers had been pressed out of their comfort zone and scattered because of persecution. Peter comes along and writes them a letter and he's, and, and his, and, and the real purpose is to keep them moving forward in life and not let the pressures and the problems of life, uh, sideline them in this journey. And so he comes to them and basically chapter one, there's a lot we said. In fact, I spent a lot of time, uh, three or four, uh, Wednesdays kind of building the case for this book. But uh, uh, we learned that, uh, hey, he's trying to get them thinking positively, thinking with a forward thought and thinking about eternity rather than their temporary circumstances. And his whole theme is it's only temporary. We're on our way to heaven. So here's the theme of this, at least First uh, uh, Peter chapter uh, or, or at least First Peter. It's this progressing through this life into that life in the face of adversity and pressure. Anyone here ever faced just a little bit of adversity and pressure in your life? Well, how many of you have got run out of your house and run out of town and, and threatened with your life because of your witness for Christ and your stance for Jesus Christ? Anybody experienced that kind of pressure yet? Well, maybe not, but you know what? We've got people all around the world that are experiencing that right now. Uh, and so... Peter comes along and he's endeavoring to empower them to keep pressing forward and to keep moving forward into the call of God. And the whole thing is it's only temporary. Tell somebody it's only temporary. It really is. It's only temporary. So here was one of the thoughts that I gave you back uh, uh, concerning chapter one and the introduction to this series. And it is this spiritual progress always requires a mental and a moral shift from the temp temporal to the eternal. And that's what he's trying to do there in the first uh, number of verses. He's trying to get their eyes off the temporary circumstance that they are so consumed with. How many of you know if you've been run out of town for the cause of Christ and lost everything and scattered to the four winds, possibly, you know, families uh, uh, split apart, uh, it'd be hard for you to think about the joy of eternity, right? 
And so he explodes on. In fact, uh, I call it an explosion. When you read this from that perspective, you see, he kind of explodes on them. He said, verse 3 and 4, he said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I'm telling you, he, you're talking about a motivational speaker. He's a motivational speaker. He is, he's exploding on them with purpose and destiny. Uh, and then chapter two, uh, we looked at chapter two. We gave it kind of the subtitle, the God honoring life. And because in chapter two, there's a lot of places where it talked about living a life that would honor God and, and offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And so kind of our thoughts along those lines were the fact that, you know, as we move through this life, everything we do in this life affects, affects us in that life. And we should live a life that honors God in the process. In fact, uh, gosh, I think it's second, second Peter. He says something along these lines, uh, since all these, th- uh, yeah, verse 11 in chapter three, you don't need to turn there. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord? So he's, he's, li- he's teaching us in chapter two how we live a life that would honor God in, even in the face of adversity and pressure. Uh, and so, uh, those are a lot of the thoughts. And then, then we looked in chapter three and four, uh, and we kind of get, we, I, I, I exploded on you with two chapters last week. Probably could have split this up a little deeper, but I thought it was good to hit it in in one effort. And basically we talked about getting your heart right with God and others and being relationally right-hearted. That's kind of, well, it's a lot about what chapter three and four is all about and keeping your heart right and having the heartbeat of God in the process. Uh, How many of you know you can't be... uh, uh, out of sorts with your brother and sister uh, and be right with God. We, we realize that. And so, so that's what, uh, where we've been so far. Tonight, we're going to look in chapter 5, and I don't have my phone. I guess I left it at home, so therefore, time is no issue to me. <laughs> time is no issue. Uh, so, here we go. Chapter 5. I'm going to read four verses to you, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we'll, then we'll finish out. Uh, four verses. The elders who are among you I exhort, I whom am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So he's, he's exhorting the elders in the church uh, and in these, these cities, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And everybody said, Amen. What we want to talk about for a few moments is in this journey from in from this life to that life, it's imperative uh, to realize and understand and embrace what I'll call the vital link of leadership. The, the vital link of leadership. Think about this. Think about the corporate effort of God in the universe. Uh, he, he, you know, we're not, we all 
how many of you know we're all individuals? You know, we all distinct. There's no, there's nobody here the same. We're all unique. Everybody smile and say, everybody say this. I'm me and I'm wonderful because God don't make no junk. Now, some of you need to smile a little. Say, I'm me and I'm wonderful because God don't make no junk. Now, understand this. We're all individuals, but listen, we are, we cannot be uh, individualistic in our understanding of God's kingdom because we are a part of the family of God and we are in a kingdom. And how many of you know every kingdom has governance and guidance? And thank God I'm not the king of the kingdom. How many of you know who the king of the kingdom is? He's the king of kings and the Lord of the Lord of Lord of lords. But in this kingdom and in this corporate journey, you see, he's not talking to one person, even though individuals here glean great insight. Some of you have, as individuals, have gleaned great insight about your personal circumstances. Of course, that's the case. But he's writing to, to people who have some level of understanding that, hey, the church is a family of faith and we're in this thing together and we're on our journey together. And how many of you know when you're on a journey, have you ever been on a journey with more than two people? You get more than three or four, somebody's got to start taking the lead. Are you with me? Because, hey, let me just tell you, it's an issue with our family. I've already told this is old news. Going to lunch on Sunday afternoon. Man, I've had, to, we've had major rebellion in our family. I mean, we've had issues. Finally, I just said, okay. And then we finally, the last time we all went out together, the kids were all just going ballistic and uh, the waiter took too long and man, we're all wore out and the kids needed a nap. And so now I said, it's, it's takeout at the, at Bebo and Papa's every Sunday now. So it just takes the pressure off. I had to step up and take the lead. And listen, uh, in this journey that we're on, there is the vital link of leadership and how we, re- how we lead in this. And, and let me just say, even though I'm going to show you some, some specific details here in a moment, we all should embrace some levels of leadership and influence in the earth. So when I talk about elders here, I'm gonna, I want you to know that all of us on some level, we could say the leaders. So I want us all to embrace this here as we look, because in a corporate journey, it requires corporate leadership. God knew this. He set it all up. He set it up with authorities and delegated authorities, and He's a God of authority. And uh, the first sin in the universe was rebellion against authority. And so it caused chaos in the universe. Uh, and so there's, there's got to be leadership. There's got to be authority. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, the Bible says, uh, is it in first Samuel? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a booger bear that we've got to deal with and we've got to learn from. And then, and listen, organizations, let's be secular organizations. Businesses, corporations, for them to progress and move forward, there has to be a healthy line and understanding of leadership. Are you with me? And so, no different with the kingdom of God. You remember Moses and Jethro? Anybody know who Jethro was in relation to Moses? His father-in-law. 
Can any good thing come from a father-in-law? Oh, yes. Great things came from my father-in-law. But Jethro, uh, he saw the supernatural move of God uh, in Moses' life. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he was just enthralled by it all. But then as it began to progress, he saw Moses spending every day with, you know, they say, how many Israelites were on the journey? Anybody guess? Was it over a million, millions? How many? Two to four million people. Can you imagine? And Jethro thought he was the leader over it all. All day long, he would sit and talk to people. Jethro, uh, and you can read, I think it's Exodus 18. Uh, uh, Jethro comes and he says, Moses, listen, what are you doing this? Well, everybody, they need, they need me. He said, what you're doing is not good. And he taught him about delegated authority and, and spreading it around a little bit. And so that's the principle from the Old Testament. It works all the way through the church. And so with that in mind, uh, he, 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 comes on board here in this journey, and he brings an exhortation to the elders. He said, to the elders who are among you, I exhort. To the leaders. Now, just quickly, I'll give you two thoughts about this thought about elders. And again, time is no issue because I have no clock, so I, I, I'm excited tonight. Uh, there, there are appointed elders within the church. Uh, and there's different terminologies in different churches, uh, you know, and, and every denomination has different angles on all this. So I don't want to get too deep and, and, and wide along this line. And so, but I don't want to water it down either. Uh, but, uh, there are appointed elders. In fact, Jim is an elder in our church. He's been appointed, uh, by me as an elder in the church. And, and if we wanted to, uh, you know, you could go to 1st Timothy chapter 3. There's, qualifications for elders. And then 1 Timothy 3, then there's another one for deacons. Uh, you know, any, any Baptists, ex-Baptists here? Man, the deacons were something, weren't they? They thought they, in fact, in some churches, they thought they were the boss hog, didn't they? The deacons meet. The deacons have met. But in some of those churches, they didn't realize that deacon means servant. They got that all mixed up. And so, I'm not being critical, just obvious. It's just obvious. And so, so there's all kinds of terminologies, but in, in 1 Timothy, uh, 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 chapter 3, you can read qualifications of, of people who are appointed in positions of authority and responsibility. Elders, uh, uh, deacons. And then, in fact, Paul told Titus in 1-5, because this is necessary. How many of you know, uh, you know, no leadership is just a mess, you know, it's chaos. And so, Titus 1-5, Paul comes along to Titus, he said, you need to go and appoint elders, everybody say appoint, Appoint elders in every city, every church. They got, there's got to be some governance and guidance here. And so, so it's, it's something that God has designated. So there's appointed elders and, and then there's delegated leadership. And, and this room is full of people who have delegated leadership responsibilities. They're not per se elders, but they have leadership responsibility. I think of Michael and Lyric. They're, they're on staff with us. Uh, and they are, but they are not, uh, they are not appointed elders in our church, but they are delegated authorities who in a sense, 
uh, and, and are definitely leaders in our church and are in a sense the hands extended of Pastor Sam and, and, and the administrative and elder team here. And so, so there's, so I said all that to say, when I say elders, I'm not just talking about Jim here. If, it, if this was just about Jim, I could have pulled him over to the side and we could have talked about something different tonight. But hey, it's really for all of us. So you got that. If you got that, say, I got it, Pastor. Okay. So here's what it said. And I want you to embrace this on, even if you have no title. How many of you know, you, you don't have to have a title to be a person of influence and lead people, right? If you are serving at the low, what some would consider the lowest echelon in the nursery. Listen, you are still leading people. You know who you're leading and influencing? Their parents and even those little children and all the people that you work with and work around. You're influencing and you're leading. So with that in mind, I want us all to embrace this, this insight about the shepherd. Uh, it says, or, or the elder or the leader. And verse 2 tells us some insight about what we're to do. It says, shepherd the flock of God. Uh, does anybody's translation say feed the flock? Yes. Uh, some say feed the flock, shepherd the flock. Uh, both are valid here. Uh, really what he's saying here is, listen, tend to these people as a shepherd tends to his flock. Now that got everybody's attention because in that day, everybody knew what a good shepherd did for the sheep. Okay, and so, in fact, there's a great book. Oh, wish I could remember. A guy's named Keller. He wrote a book on Psalm 23, but I can't remember the name of the book. But I think his name was Keller. It's a if you want a great study about the shepherd and the sheep in Psalm 23, uh, which you know he makes you to do what? Lie down in green pastures. And so, it's a great book. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, but uh, he said. And when, when he said shepherd or feed the flock, man, they got the illustration there. Oh, we understand that because all of them on some level had, had fed and tended the flock. Okay. And so, so he got their, 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 their attention with how, how they're supposed to respond to the people around them. Okay. With that in mind, let me give you three thoughts about these shepherds and these leaders. Uh, shepherds provide number one, governance and guidance. It says this in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. That's a big phrase. Everyone say over, overseers. That's just exactly what it means. I oversee people. I'm responsible for people. People, uh, I'm looking out for them. I'm watching out for them, just like a shepherd would watch out for his sheep. And also, uh, I'm serving them in the process. I'm serving the body of Christ. I'm serving these families who bring children to the nursery. I'm serving uh, these uh, uh, parents who are helping me with vacation Bible school. I'm serving as an overseer. Uh, there's governance and guidance. Have you ever been a part of an organization that the leadership was kind of uh, dysfunctional and they would say, oh, I don't know what to do. What do you all think? Listen, at some point, somebody's got to step up as a leader of influence in the, in, in the world and say, listen, this is what I believe we could do. Governance and guidance. And all of us, listen, uh, in this transitionary process, these people are moving from here to there. It's easy to get disconnected and discombobulated and, and out of of. Of, uh, of, of sync with the authorities of God. Let me tell you one dangerous thought in, in, in every process of, of transition 
If you move from here, uh, I, I don't want anybody moving. If you move from here to another town, uh, or if God leads you to another city or something, that transition can have some great positive effects on you. But listen, it can also negatively affect you, and you can get out from under the governance and guidance of the family of, of faith. I tell people all the time, find a good church and get in it. Don't sit around and say, I'm still praying about it. Get in the middle of one, and, and you'll find yourself in the middle of God. God's will. Don't let a lot of time go by between here and there. Why? Because you get out from under the governance and guidance of leadership in your life. You're, you are vulnerable to the enemy. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Are you with me? So leadership in the church provides governance and guidance. You know, my responsibility as a pastor is not just to help guide you in circumstances of life. I do that. Did you know as, as a shepherd over this flock, there are times when, when I have to speak into people's life and say, listen, I got to tell you right now, you're on the wrong path here. And you're, you're not following. I've, I haven't had to do that a lot in life, but listen, we need the voice of the shepherd in our life. And leadership, and we need to be that voice for others. It's governance and guidance. Number two, uh, it, uh, a good shepherd, shepherds provide leadership and love. You see, he says this, and we'll look at it more. Uh, he says, you're not to, you're not supposed to do this, uh, uh, under compulsion or for dishonest gain, but willingly and eagerly. And it, re and it reflects the idea of leadership. In other words, you know, shepherds and leaders, that's exactly what they do. They lead. They don't just tell people what to do. They lead, as we'll see in a moment, by what? Example. Follow me. What did Jesus tell his disciples? We're in the middle of Sunday morning, uh, 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 the Jesus journey, uh, learning to follow Jesus 24-7. He said, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. He said, I'll lead you, but you've got to follow me. So on both sides here, as we look at, as, at our lives as people of influence, we've got to be able to lead and we do it with love, but we've also got to be able to follow and do it with faith. Amen. And plug in and get involved. Amen. John 10, Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd. And, uh, it just shows if you, if, if we wanted to go over there and read that, it shows that his influence as the shepherd was not as the taskmaster with the big whip, uh, uh, and, and, you know, and, you know, you sheep, you know, how many, how do you know, how many of you know how the shepherd would get the sheep to, to, to follow? They began to learn that wherever he led them was green pasture. They began to trust the shepherd and they, the, oh, when he says it's time to go, they hear his voice. Sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. Their little heads would go, Green pastures, hallelujah. And away they'd go. And so we shepherd, shepherds provide governance and guidance and leadership and love. And then number three, provision and protection. Your translation is exactly correct. Feed the flock of God. See what, you know what we're doing here tonight? We're feeding on the word of God and your shepherd, your pastor is feeding you the word of God. And in some ways, let me just say, Sunday morning is kind of a bless me, 
uh, help me, heal me kind of message. You get off on Wednesday night, it's a deeper, wider, uh, more in-depth, uh, 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 you know, it's it's not just milk. There's a little depth and breadth and a little, little steak on the bone, a little meat on the bone here. Uh, and so my responsibility is to feed you, provide provision for you, as well as protect you. The shepherd would protect. Let me tell you, the shepherd, you know what that that... That shepherd's staff was not just for the photo. Shepherd's staff would ward off the wolf or the, or the evil one, as well as get the sheep by the nap of the neck and out of, out of the ditch or out of the hole or out of the, out of the pit or whatever. Uh, and so, uh, the, the protection and provision, I tell people all the time, hey, even if your pastor's bow-legged and can't say his words right and says we was instead of we were, listen, uh, he's a he's a God sent person into your life, and he will provide and help provide. He'll bring provision and protection in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. And so that's what shepherds do. That's what leaders do. Psalm twenty three. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think I'm saying it right. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. Am I doing that right? Am I getting, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's he saying? Woo! The shepherd takes good care of me. He protects me. He provides for me. Now, I, I, I love this. What's Peter telling everybody to do? He's telling these leaders. Feed the flock. Take care of the flock. Rewind. I, I, I don't have my, my, uh, my chronology here or my timetable. I don't know how long it's been since Peter and Jesus had a talk by the seashore as the resurrected Christ in John 21. If anybody knows that, it's been a few years. The resurrected Christ finds Peter who had blown it Back to the fishing boat, steps back into his world, and he tells him to do what? What does he tell him? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. In fact, I love this. I read this uh, today again, and I, I had forgotten about it because we're we're talking about. I'm just looking at the math on Sunday morning, looking at the Matthew uh, illustrations or Matthew scriptures where Jesus said, "Follow me." But uh, when he gets done with Peter, he tells him twice. He's, he still has to kind of tweak him a little about other people and how God's dealing with them. Uh, but he tells him twice there in John 21 after he told him, feed my sheep. He says, hey, 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 just follow me. Just follow me. Feed my, feed the flock. And so here we find Peter, you know, potentially, you know, certainly longer down the road here. And he's exhorting everybody else, all these leaders, feed the flock. Where did he get that? He got it from the chief shepherd. He said, our role here is to provide governance and guidance and leadership and love and protection and provision for these sheep. Now, sadly, in modern day culture, and evidently even in that day, Unrighteous shepherds, if you will, turn the tables. 
Why would, why would Peter even have to say, don't do this for dishonest gain, but do it willingly and eagerly? Because in every, how many of you know, in every, in, in every leadership model there is, there's room for a little corruption. <laughs> how many of you know, you can't build a model that keeps corruption out of the house? Because listen, corruption begins on the inside. And what we have seen, and at least in my lifetime, it's been a transition and a turning of the tables. The, the shepherds aren't there for the sheep. The sheep are there to make the shepherd fat and happy. Everybody goes, shame on them. And let me tell you something. I have seen it with my eyes. I have heard it from my ears. If you go back to Ezekiel 34, there's a prophetic warning. You can read it later. He warns the shepherds about this kind of stuff. And listen, it's not pretty. And I have seen what that mindset has done to a many a good man. And so... Shepherds provide governance and guidance, leadership and love, protection and provision. Now, on some level, all of us need to embrace that reality about who we are and who we lead and who we influence in the earth. Amen? So, with that in mind, let me shift gears. Everybody shift gears with me. Let's just hit it. Oh, here we go. I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to show you some things about the Good Shepherd. Uh, the four thoughts very quickly. And then we're going to bring it. Uh, I'm going to look at some uh, the last few verses. Here we go. Number one, Good Shepherds. Uh, hey, a Good Shepherd has a good attitude, a shepherd's attitude. Verse two says, they do it willingly and eagerly. Everyone say willingly. Willingly, that means voluntarily and selflessly. In other words, even though I get paid for what I do, in fact, one pastor friend of mine says, your people love Jesus more than you do. I said, how do you know that? He said, because they pay to come, you get paid to come. I said, okay, you got a point. All right. But ultimately, all of us, it's not about a paycheck, is it? You do it voluntarily. And and listen, uh my mindset endeavors to be, even if I had to pay to do this, I want to do this. This is, in fact, I tell people all the time, man, this is what, can you tell, hey, I'm not bored here tonight. I, I want you to know this does not bore, I may be boring you, but I don't bore myself. I love to hear myself talk. Uh, this, this is what I love to do willingly and voluntarily. And, I, and by the way, I did it willingly and voluntarily a long time for Somebody will pay you to do this. You've got to keep. What's the old saying? You know, if you find something you love to do and somebody will pay you for it, you'll never work a day in your life. That's kind of how I feel on most days. Uh, and then he says eagerly. Everybody say eagerly. That means cheerful readiness. Ooh, I love it. When's the last time you step? I've seen people step into the church, walk into their position of responsibility, and you could tell they had missed the uh, eagerly anointing in their life. In fact, we had we had a lady one time in the nursery. Uh, she did, was not was not her gift in the early years, and our nursery was in that front room right there. We just had a few, and one day it was bur burgeoning. Is that? It was it was. A lot, too many kids in there. And a visitor came up with a, with a little baby and she whirled around and said, they can't come in here, we're full. I went, 
Oops, she missed her cheerful readiness that day. So, hey, as good shepherds, we all have to have the shepherd's attitude of, of willingly. We do this willingly and we do it eagerly with a cheerful readiness. And then number two, I want to show you the shepherd's uh, acceptance. It says this. This is an interesting little insight. Verse three, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Everyone say entrusted to you. Now, here's the Greek word here. The word has to do with casting lots. Here's the idea behind the word. You didn't have a choice who you shepherd. You don't have a choice who you shepherd. You can't pick out all the pretty ones and the rich ones. You can't pick out the ones that are not dysfunctional or the ones that don't, that, that don't have issues. He says, you need to understand as, hey, listen, in your attitude, uh, your willingly and eagerly attitude, you gotta understand God, whoever you have, they've been entrusted to you. You didn't pick them. It's like the, 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 the chance of the draw. You gotta realize that, hey, it's not your job, uh, uh, to pick and choose who you want to shepherd. God brings people to you, and guess what? They're all equal in God's God's eyes, and you shepherd them all the same. You love them all the same. You feed them all the same. They've all been entrusted to you. And so you've got to accept that reality in life. Uh, and, and how many of you know, if you could pick all your employees or employers, you wouldn't necessarily pick the ones you got right now, would you? It's not your job. Hey, somebody else, that's just the way it is. It's just, it's what's been entrusted to you. It's your, it's your ball of wax that's been given you. And so you've got to be, your attitude has to be willingly and eagerly. It doesn't matter if they, they smoked you, go with the girls that do. You're here to shepherd this flock. I gave them to you. I've entrusted them to you. God basically is what he's saying. And so, uh, you've got to realize that entrusted to you. It's not for us to pick and choose. And then number three, the shepherd's actions. He said this. He said, don't do this under compulsion, uh, but be willingly and do it eagerly, not as being lords over the and those who trust you, but being what? Everybody say examples. Being examples to the flock. And so, if, in fact, if you went back to 1 Timothy 3 concerning elders, it's really, uh, there's one, that verse 7 has to do with being an example to others. You've got to live a life. Uh, your, the actions of your life have to line up with who you are. Amen? And then number four, the shepherd's accolades. Verse 4, he says this, and you need to understand this. And he brings them back to eternity here again. And when the chief shepherd appears, all you shepherds, listen, you're not the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, guess what he'll do? If you do what I'm telling you to do, you will receive a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. There's eternal reward for how you lead people on planet earth. Are you with me here? And so on whatever level, God will look and he'll say, oh, you did a good job. And so he says, if you do this, an interesting thing about Jesus when he went into the tomb, he went into the tomb as what? The sacrificial lamb. He offered himself up as the lamb of God. And you know what the Bible says? When he came out of the tomb, he came out as the chief shepherd of the sheep. He offered himself up as a lamb. He came out and said, I'm the chief shepherd. And so, so he tells us as leaders, man, let me tell you something. The chief leader, the chief shepherd, 
will stand before him one day. And if you do what I'm telling you, if you lead like Jesus would have you to lead, if you influence others like Jesus would have you influence others, guess what? You'll receive reward in heaven. Woo, amen. That's exciting. Everybody say amen. So now, as I said earlier, I don't have my phone, so time is not an issue. My wife, she said, I'm going to look. She's going to look right now. I'm going to finish up here with these last few verses. So, like, let's look in verse 6. Oh, no, verse 5. Here we go. He just dealt with the leaders. And look where he shifts gears. And he goes, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to, to who? Let me just kind of expand that a little bit. Okay, you that are not at a place of, of leadership in the church, especially uh, appointed and delegated, Here's how you respond to those people. Okay? All right? Yes, all of you. He said, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And yes, and here it is, and here's the attitude of all of us, and all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of grace, who called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, everybody say, suffered a while. Now, here he's closing out his letter. He's saying, listen, I know you've been suffering a while. But you need to look beyond this. Listen, what's the theme? Moving from this life to that life in the face of adversity and pressure. He said, after you suffered a while, uh, back, he's, uh, well, let me back up and read it in context. By, but may God, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, may he perfect you, establish you, strengthen and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, and this is kind of his just last remarks. By Sylvanus, our, fa our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Everybody go, Mwah. peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. And everybody say the last word. Amen. Amen. So. Now, very quickly, but hopefully efficiently, I want to talk to you as he closes out this letter. I'm going to title this thought, Stability in the Journey. Even in an unstable, how many of you know you've got to be stable in an unstable world? And the world they were in was unstable. And there are enemies. How many of you know there are many adversaries? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he said there are many adversaries. Listen, in this journey, catch me now. And this journey from this life to that life, there are many adversaries. There's an adversary that's trying to undermine the process. To try to knock you out of the race and get you off track and keep you from arriving safely into the destiny of God for your life. And so as he closes out this letter, he's, he's, he's hammering home, uh, some, some things that, that stabilize us. In the face of adversity and in the face of opposition and enemy attack. Okay? 
So with that in mind, let me just make this thought to you. As I read this letter today again, and I look back, and all this issues, and all this struggle, struggle and trauma, and, and, and their, their heartache, and the sorrows. In fact, uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, you're grieved, and all the grieving, and all the pain. He gives the devil one verse. He only gives him one verse. I say that to say this. We give the devil too much of everything. You know, we tend to want, you know, if you're writing to a man, just hammering harp on, on watching out for the devil. But he, he gives him one verse and it's in verse eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, he does give warning. He warns the pilgrims of this devil. But he only gives him one verse. And all the rest is how we live our life and how we press forward and, and the things we do that will keep him from being able to do what he wants to do. Amen? So here we go. I'm going to give you seven. Here's seven uh, stability directives from Peter in this close, in his closing remarks. Number one, hey, if you're going to stay stable in this journey from this life to that life, you got to stay submitted to the authorities of God in your life. You can't become rebellious. You can't become self-sufficient and, and, and independent and un, unsubmitted. I just heard recently of a young couple, uh, 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 that, uh, they got married young. And they're already, they have two kids already talking about divorcing. You know, you know what? I don't even have to talk to them to, to, to know what's wrong with them. They don't understand authority. They think they're, they know best for their lives. So, hey, you want to get from this life to that life? You got to stay submitted to the authorities of God in your life. Don't get cross-haired with authority. He, he hammers this three or four times here. It, it, through that, stay submitted to authority. I, I, I don't know how else to tell you that, but uh, you start thumbing your nose at authorities in your life. And listen, did you know God has authorities in our life that are not even born again? How many of you know a, a policeman doesn't have to be born again to throw you in the pokey? And he's God's authority in our life. And so... We've got to stay submitted to authority, especially in this journey that we're in. In this transitionary time, the easiest thing to do is to get out from under the authority of God in your life. And listen, did you know, and I wish I had the figures, in, in today's Christian culture in America, there is a boatload of people who call themselves Christian, who say they love Jesus, but they will not submit to authority on any level in their life. And let me tell you something, they're in danger. I'm not being critical, I'm being ob it's just being obvious. There's people who don't darken the doors of the local church. And one of the big reasons is somebody did them wrong. Some church member, them past day, all they want your money. And they, boy, I ain't going. Last time I did that, them people. You know what that is? Rebellion. I'm just being honest. Guard our hearts against the rebel on the inside of all of us. Stay submitted. Number two, stay humble. 
He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and clothe yourself with humility. For God does what? He resists the proud. And hey, put this in context of the, of, of, uh, of leadership who, uh, and people who began to get blessed and prosper in their life. You gotta stay humble because he'll resist you. Stability in the journey requires us to stay submitted to authorities and stay humble in our hearts because the last person or the last, uh, uh, hey, you do not want God resisting you on any level. And Peter felt that when his arrogance got him in trouble and he ended up denying the Lord. Are you with me? He thought he had it figured out. Number three, I'll say it this way, stay connected. Look in verse 7. He says, uh, oh, let me read verse 6 just for the humilities. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may do what? Exalt you in due time. Now listen, you know the context here? That's eternity. In due time, we're going to all be exalted uh, and we're going we're to be lifted to a whole new level in heaven with Christ. And then he says, casting all your care upon Him for He does what? He cares for you. Everybody say, He cares for me. I couldn't say it any better way that, but in this. And now, in the middle of trouble and trial, listen, listen. They're in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a grieving time. They're in, in this journey between here and there. They're experiencing heartache and trouble and trauma in their life. And, and here's what, here's what we, he's trying to get across to them. Yes, we have one another. How many of you appreciate family and appreciate the fact that we can pray for one another? But listen, look what he says here in this context when things are going tough. Hey, when you're in the middle, you just, you better cast your care before him. Ultimately, he's the one you need to talk to about your situation. Don't come whining to the pastor every time you break a nail. Don't come whining to the pastor every time you have an issue. What he's saying is, you better stay connected to God because ultimately, he's the chief shepherd. He's the one. He's the one that when it seems like no one cares for you, he will care for you. In fact, a few verses later, he says, you need to understand that this is happening to other people. You're not the only one that's going through all this. And so you need to understand that you've got to stay connected to Him. He's your ultimate source. And let me tell you something. We've got to realize that. He's our ultimate source. Hey, cast all your care upon Him. Your worries, your concerns. And from Peter who said, I'm one of those shepherds, he knew ultimately... The shepherds can't carry all these things. In fact, Paul told the Galatians, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. And then a couple of verses or a phrase or two later, he said, let everybody bear his own burden. What he was saying, there's some we can't carry, but the ones you can carry, you better carry. And it, hey, if they start bothering a little bit, the first place you take them is to God. You cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Amen. Stay connected. To the one who cares for you. Number four, another stability in the middle of the journey uh, directive is stay sober. Everybody say stay sober. Verse eight, be sober. That means uh, unintoxicated, self-controlled, not under the influence of some other force that you don't that that controls you. He's not just talking about 
alcohol and drugs. I mean, there's things that, that intoxicate us, that begin to control us. All kinds of addictions and issues that we cannot let control us. You've got to stay sober-minded uh, in all, all your uh, issues. and under, Don't let other things begin to control your life especially not these fears and concerns and temporary circumstances. Stay sober. Number five, stay vigilant. Verse eight, be sober, be vigilant. That means watchful. How many of you know we've got to be watchful on all levels? In fact, Jesus, what did He teach us? We looked at it earlier in the year on Sunday morning, Matthew 24 and 25. You be, be watching for the return of Jesus Christ. You better keep your eyes open. Jesus is coming again. Chief Shepherd's going to appear. You better be watchful. Number two, you be to watch out for that old devil. He, he's, he, he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Don't be slumbering or sleeping as Jim referred to in Matthew 13. Uh, don't be sleeping. Be watchful. Be awake. And then number six, be steadfast. Everybody say steadfast. Verse 9, he says, speaking of resisting the devil, resist him steadfast in the faith. Everybody say steadfast in the faith. Now, that's an important phrase. What was the first thing the devil undermined in Adam and Eve when he came to tempt them? He undermined their faith in their creator. He put a question mark in their mind. He said, hath God said? They said, God said, don't do this. God said, don't do that. He said, hath God said? Hath God said? Are you sure God said that? Well, maybe God didn't say that. And listen, when you start questioning God and His Word, your faith is being undermined. Okay? When you start doubt, I'll say this, when you start doubting the foundational tenets of Scripture, He doesn't care for me like He cares for them. Your faith is being undermined. And that's what gets you from here to there. We walk by, not by sight. And so he said, he said, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. He said, keep your faith strong through the adversities of life, through the, the temptations of the devil. Resist him steadfast in the faith. In fact, 1 John 5, 4, John says this, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so it, from this life to that life, in the middle of adversity, when the enemy's after you, you resist him steadfast in the faith. Don't let him put a question mark in your mind about God's word and his will for your life. Before long, you'll start believing it. Are you with me? He'll start doubting it. And he'll, and guess what? He'll start stealing, killing, and destroying. You gotta stay steadfast in this journey. And finally, you gotta stay knowledgeable. Look what he says in verse nine. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing. Everyone say knowing. 
knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We're talking about, he, he's, he's trying to give them the big picture. That's what he was doing in the beginning. He's bringing them back to the big picture. You need to understand, you're not the only one here that's got a broke nail. You're not the only one here that's got pain and sorrow in your life. You're not the only person in life that's had a bad rap, you think. Listen, people all over the world are suffering probably, and we could say safely for us, a lot worse than we ever did, and probably a lot worse than we ever will. So you need to understand that and get the bigger picture about about eternity uh, and and realize, hey, this is all temporary. Amen. And he basically closes out back to the grace of God. He says, but may the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory. There he goes again. And so, hey, the bigger picture is God's grace has called us into eternity. Amen. His unmerited favor has got us on this journey. God's grace has got, we're called. It's a calling. He has called you by His grace into eternity. Verse 10. Number two, God's grace will care for you. That goes back up to the verse five and six or six and seven. Uh, he cares for you. His grace will care for you through this process. His unmet, <coughs> pardon me, his unmerited favor will be with you. And number three, God's grace will complete you. This journey is, is temporary. Look what he says in verse 10. But may the God of all what? Grace. Everybody say it. May the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus he called us he's going to care for us through the process through Christ Jesus after you've suffered a while he'll perfect you that means complete you establish strengthen and settle you Whew. how many of you look forward to that day and he closes out to Him be the glory and the dominion or the authority over my life forever and ever. And then amen means so be it. So be it in me. That's the bigger picture. It's all temporary. There will come a time He called us into His eternal glory then we'll be changed, we'll be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everybody love the Lord, say amen. Okay, Beverly, you can tell me what time it is. Oh, there you go. It's like I did, did this for a living or something. Amen. Now, in six weeks, we got a pretty good picture of First Peter. Next week, we're going to jump into Second Peter. I, I have to tell you, although I've read it a lot, I haven't even got my angle there. So I'll be I'll be doing that and kind of getting my angle. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And so, uh, amen. Everybody love the Lord. Say amen. You feel good? You happy? You content? What are we going to do? Where's my card? Here we go. Listen, don't disengage from this. This is... This is 10 days of intense effort, energy, and exercise of evangelism, okay? Everybody ready to do it? Let's stand up together and say, so be it in my life. Amen. Father, thank you for the word of God tonight. Let it set up residence in our heart. And Lord, may we, Lord God, give you all the glory and honor and praise. And as we press forward into 
into eternity. Lord, let us understand our role and responsibility as leaders and our responsibility of stability in the face of demonic opposition and adversarial attack on our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.